Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. I am a sex coach, psychologist, and relationship therapist. I've created this show to provide a safe space to explore sex, intimacy, and relationship from all sides. I wanted to create a space where all types of people from all walks of life could talk about sex, sexuality, intimacy, and relationships. My mission is to take sex and conversations about sex out from the shadows and into the light. In this space, my focus is on authenticity, out-of-the-box strategies to deal with issues that arise, and helping people to become adventurers when it comes to their sex and romantic lives. But I just love that you're sitting in your childhood bedroom because like that was actually the first session that we went to with the, the person we eventually ended up seeing, you know, that was one of her first questions was just like, what messages did you get about sex as a child? Really important question. Right? You know, um, how many of us got messages um, that, you know, sex was a great thing and women should love it and they should have lots of sex. Who gets that? I wish I got that. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Instead, I, I got the like, it will be dangerous. You'll get pregnant. You'll get a disease. You should definitely be abstinent until marriage. I didn't get that. <laughs> now, I don't, I'm not sure what our age gap is. Um, I, I'm 40. What am I? I'm 41. <laughs> right. So we have a signal. I'm, 50, I'm 55, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't get that sex education. No, no. So did you just get silence? Um, my father was a doctor, so my mother had him tell me. Oh, my gosh. So I got the facts of life from my father, um, which was um, uncomfortable at best. So was it all, like, reproduction-focused? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. yes. Like, um, this, is, this is how the things work, not the pleasure talk. No. God. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. God. <laughs> Nobody mentioned that. Nobody mentioned that. So you got the reproduction. I got the you'll go to hell. Uh, it, yeah. And, I, and I didn't get go to hell, um, but I got more, you know, um, not, not in so many words, but, you know, if you do this, then people will think you're a slut. Oh, um, yeah. That sort of stuff. Yeah, if you like um, sex, you'll definitely be a slut. This is not okay. There are other things you can do was the other one that I got, which I did not understand at the time, but I think there were worries that I was going to get pregnant. Uh, um, I, um, I did, I got birth control at school, the, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there, I mean, it, it was a wasteland in terms of information. Yeah. Well, that and was the thing. We didn't have the internet, so there was nowhere to look anything up. <laughs> I had the encyclopedias on the shelf. I could have grabbed one of those down, right? <laughs> the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, exactly. I think mine was like the very cheap version you could buy at the grocery store, like a dollar a book, <laughs> like over the like 52 weeks or something. Um, yeah, it was gold. It was beautiful. Uh, but so when I was in that, that session, like that was our first session, right? She was asking me, you know, what messages did you get around sex as a child? And I like started sharing them with her. And of course there's all the like hashtag me too experiences that I had as well. Like young, like I've got my, my, my journal from third grade back over in that corner. And like, you know, the stories that I wrote as a third grader, I mean, how old was I then? Like seven or something? Seven, eight. Yeah. Like, Right. And so like, I, I feel like I got all these messages, but I, I was not dialed into that. You know, when she asked that in that first session and I started sharing and then she just paused me and she's like, 
well, of course you're not wanting sex. It's like you didn't get any messages that it would be good. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, I, it, it, it really hit me um, that, you know, like all those messages to like keep it in your pants <laughs> might have like created a little bit of like a, an over-controlled um, impulse thing, you know, like if it did show up, I would shut it down in a heartbeat. I learned to do that for like 20 years before I met my husband. Like why, why would that be something that I could just like totally dial into other than when the hormones are there at the beginning of the relationship, right? I mean, I think it's really interesting because I did not have that issue. Mine was um, with the considerable shame and a lot of that stuff. I had issues with, or with letting it go of control for orgasm, right? So I, I didn't, they didn't manage to repress me enough to have me not have sex. I had lots of sex. Just going to hold back from orgasm. That's right. That's right. right. Oh, it, I love it. it I like it. <laughs> masturbation, right? And even then it was an issue. And there's a long story behind that that I won't share right now because it'll end up in another show, I'm sure. But, but that was my issue. It was like, that's where the repression hit. So yeah. it's like, I, I couldn't resist the impulse to have sex when I wanted to have sex, but I could like not fully enjoy it. And so somehow that kind of meets that, you know, you shouldn't yeah. be having, shouldn't be doing this. Um, it's a, so amazing how this, how these experiences play out and how, like how many different ways that that can show up. And what scares me about it is, is that um, there is a kind of trend not to take histories when people come to see you. Now, I, I should say, I mean, different professions do learn different things. And I was uh, trained as a clinical psychologist initially. And so taking a history is a standard part of what you do. Right. Yeah. Um, as a sex and intimacy coach, I still take a history. Yeah. Uh, because to me, you need a context. Mm. You need a context for the work you're doing. I don't spend loads of time exploring stuff, but I, I want to know that I have the context. And, that, and, and I've discovered that if you don't ask people questions, discovered this 30 some odd years ago if you don't ask people questions often they won't volunteer yeah i think it's so true i mean even like every now and then i'll go talk to um you mentioned in my bio like i go and present to medical teams and that's the thing i tell them is like you know 40 to 50 percent of people are struggling in some way or another but only two percent of them like share the information proactively so you have to ask um, you have to be comfortable asking. And like for me and my experience, like as a client, just in her asking those questions, like I was starting to connect the dots myself, not from like a solving the problem standpoint, but at least like understanding, like, I just had this like overwhelming sense of like, this makes sense. Yeah. Like, like the way that I am now, like there's some logic to it. And like, that was, it, it actually like opened up the, the idea for change for me. Yep. Like before I had been like, something's wrong with me. I'm broken. I, um, like I don't have the capacity for this. This is just the way I am. And what I had started to realize in that moment is like, I don't know if this is the way I am. The way I am was shut down so long ago 
by so many external like messages, by so many experiences I had that that's what I bump up against first before I even get to like, what's underneath for me? What's going on for me? What do I want? If I didn't have the messages out here, what would the messages I want to choose? Like, so like, I love the history taking from that standpoint to like get to this place of, hmm. and she even asked me like, after all that, she's like, do you even want more? Like, is it important to you? She's like, it's okay if it's not. And I was kind of like, well, uh, she was like, it's like intriguing. I was like, well, what do you mean more? Like, what would that look like? Right. I mean, I think, and for me, one of the fascinating things is that, I mean, it's a history isn't meant to be, um, oh, you go, aha, and the problem solved. Because we have a lot of habit patterns with our sexuality, and um, those don't get solved by an aha. When you have a 20-year habit, it doesn't just go away because you realize why you've got the habit. You still have to work on changing behavior. Um, But the whole thing about not knowing really knowing what you want. I see two different kinds of people. I see people like me who knew what they wanted and were so ashamed that getting it was a real problem. And that's not just orgasm, but it's my desires, my, my desires set, you know. Um, I'm in, involved in I'm polyamorous, I'm queer, um, and, <laughs> and, and um, I'm in an authority transfer-based relationship. So, you know, so I'm kinky and, you know, so it's like all of that. And I knew all of that from very young. But the messages were, Donald, you shouldn't even enjoy regular sex, so you definitely shouldn't enjoy anything like this. So that was really problematic. So folks like me who who had those messages, who could like act on the sex, but couldn't, couldn't really be comfortable with the sex they wanted. And then folks who got so shut down, they couldn't even act on the sex. And actually, they didn't even know what their desires were because the messages were so intense so quickly that it was just like, this is sinful, this, you're going to go to hell. So you shouldn't even consider what you might like. Right. Yeah. And And if you ask someone like that, you know, I think back to the times, you know, where my husband, who probably falls more into the camp of knowing what he wants, and me, who falls more into the camp of, having it so repressed that I didn't even know what I wanted. You know, if you have that other partner say, well, what do you want? And you just say, I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't like compute in the other person's head. They're like, well, of course you would know. You're just not saying it. It's like, no, I don't know. The number of people who come in with, and it's, it's, and I can get the frustration because when you ask somebody how they're feeling and they tell you, I don't know, it drives me crazy, right? It's like, well, I don't know how you're feeling. I can't possibly. You're in your head. You're in your body. You must know what you're feeling. But they don't always have words for what they're feeling. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's like, well, how could you not know? It's your desires. I don't know. I don't know what my desires are. I've never been able to explore them. Yeah. So I, I was don't, so disconnected from my yeah like from my body like the I the way I I describe it now to clients is like like do you feel like you're kind of like a walking floating head in the world you know like everything comes from here up like it's about the things you think the things you produce at work like it's all thoughts right and like it'd be like going to like a restaurant and like looking at the menu and being like okay logically here's the item I want off the menu 
without like noticing, oh, I'm salivating. My stomach is growling when I read this thing or like I want, you know, like, like all of that, that I want, like wasn't, it wasn't there for me when it come, when it came to like physical pleasures, I was not connected to the rest of my body um, because I was told not to. And I, and I did really well in school. And like, I even showed, like the other part that I love about history taking is like when I was discovering like what had transpired in my life that had gotten me disconnected from my body, like I kind of recalled like being this like kid on the playground that was like really scrawny and little and like never got chosen for the teams. And so I was kind of told then, like, your body's useless, um, even for sports, even for dodgeball, right? <laughs> Kickball, whatever. And so I, like, doubled down in the classroom, again, like a head thing. And so I, like, excelled in school, but, like, really sucked in the physical side of things there. And so, like, I've realized now that, like, as I've learned to, like, reconnect to my body and check out what it is that I actually want underneath all of these head thoughts, um, that I've also realized there's even a psychological component to sex for me that is healing on top of like figuring out what my physical needs are. Like, you know, even like flashing back to that, like history taking of like that happened. It's like, Ooh, if I ever feel chosen in sex when I wasn't chosen back then, or I could want the reverse, I don't happen to, but like, maybe I want to not be chosen so I can like replay that in like a, in like a, a kinkier way. Um, but like that, that psychological component, in addition to getting connected to my body, has been super important. But of course, and of course, well, we know that, you know, for everyone, sex starts in the mind. Mm -hmm. But for women in particular, if you don't get their brain engaged, you can forget it. Their body doesn't turn on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that was one of the biggest realizations for me as I learned more about how desire works for me is that it wasn't that I was broken or there's something wrong with me. It's just that I don't have that spontaneous desire thing, right? Like where you would want sex before sex. That's not how it works for me. I want sex after I've already started having sex, <laughs> which is complicated <laughs> for yeah, someone with me, right? But it's actually really common and it's yeah. particularly... It's particularly common as women go through menopause. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I find libido really interesting because there's different groups that have low libido or no libido. And we mostly talk about menopausal women because it's more obvious, so it's easier. Um, but in that group, one of the ways of moving things forward is to get started because their bodies turn on once they're there. Yeah. But if you didn't ask them to have sex, if you ask them to have sex, they will automatically tell you no. Yeah. You know, if you That's totally how I describe it, I'm a no. And we're only going to find out if I'm a maybe if we get started. And then I have to be solid enough to be able to say no, if it doesn't turn out, you know, like that's, that's a lot. And that's, and that's a, a, yeah, that is a lot of skill and that's a discussion. It's, it's a set of negotiations and it's a second set of negotiations and add to that, that just because your body shows evidence of interest doesn't mean it's what you want to do. 
There's yeah. another whole set of things. Spending exactly. time explaining to people, look, just because a woman is wet does not mean she's interested. She can be wet and not enjoy what's going on. And vice versa. She cannot be wet and be interested. Like, let's disconnect. I always call that with the clients. Can I be a little vulgar here? Is that okay? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, so I call it the, the myth of the hard cock and the myth of the wet pussy. I'm like, yeah. sometimes they're connected to desire and arousal, and sometimes they're not. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, definitely as I age, like that's not a surefire thing. That's it. I'm like, this is why we have lube by the bedside table, right? We should um, always have lube. There's, you can never have too much lube. That's good. But I, I find that Even when you're young, you can never have too much lube. It protects so, so true. It's so good. Um, but I find that true with men as they age as well. Like I have so many men come in now who will say something like, you know, and with this like stricken look in their eyes of like, I'm not horny all the time. You know, (laughs) I'm not experiencing spontaneous desire all the time. And I kind of look at them. I'm like, so is that good or bad? You know, like what's your read on it? And I think more than anything, it's like grief over that not being the case anymore. And like a little bit more, this responsive desire thing showing up maybe for the first time in their lives where they're not always a yes right off the bat. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I've not seen any research studies to show whether that is true, that over, over lifespan, it's just what I'm seeing in my office a lot. You know, I, I'm, and I'm not relying on research because it's relying on research about what happens with sex is really hard because people don't, don't report. <laughs> they don't report. So the research is skewed because it ends up being done a lot. It either gets done in interesting surveys which, which academicians discount, I don't. I, am, I have the academic bump, but I still don't discount it because otherwise we wouldn't find, anything, find out anything, right? So this doesn't get reported enough. I think what I've seen is that men's desire does change um, and that, there's, that they don't come forward with that. So it isn't, about, it isn't just about erectile dysfunction, which is what they will initially think, Right. It isn't about erectile dysfunction. It's about they're not thinking about it as often and they don't realize they've gone six months without saying something to their partner yeah. who's completely pissed off because they're not initiating and, sh- and the partner doesn't know how to in a heterosexual couple. That's not unusual in the kind of post-60 age groups. Yep. Yeah. And in the younger age groups, and I was surprised too just because it's so stereotypically – like what we see in culture is be like, oh, the woman who doesn't want it, who has the lower desire. But like I find in my, um, you know, younger to middle-aged couples that like 40% of the time it's the other direction. Like 60% of the time it's the woman with lower desire and 40% of the time it's men. But the shame that you're talking about, like when it's reversed like that, um, when the guy is having lower desire, um, it's the shame is so strong and the anger from the woman <laughs> is huge. The unbelief. And I, do, I also see a lot of same sex couples and they and, and the dynamic plays out differently there as well. So if you two women going through menopause at the same time. Yeah. Difficult. Yeah. Really, really difficult. Um, and kind is there of, just no initiation in that case? My, uh, my yeah. same sex couples are younger. They're not, they're not in menopause yet. No, I, I have, I have the full age range. Yeah. The ones that I've seen initiation is a huge problem. Yeah. 
Because when somebody finally gets it up to initiate, the other one doesn't want it. You know, it's like, it's like when are we going to match? Yeah, it's like I've I've gone through all of this and now you're not interested in trying it at all. Um, It's difficult. This is the end of part two of Sex Spoken Here with Pam Costa, where we've been talking about mismatched libido um, and rejuvenating women's libido and education around sex and desire. Please join me next week for part three. I look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for tuning in. You were just watching Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave me a review on YouTube. If you've been listening through to the audio-only podcast on iTunes, or Stitcher, please leave me a review there. And do head over to https colon forward slash forward slash the dash intimacy dash coach.com to check out more of what's going on on my website and join my mailing list so that you have up to date information on all things sexy, intimate and relationship related. Thanks for watching.